All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. If today's your first day with us, you're jumping right in the middle of a series that we've been going through over the last several weeks through the book of James. So go ahead and turn there. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see one right over there at our Connect table. But before we get started, let's, uh, let's take a little pop quiz. Pop quiz. James was the brother of? And what did their parents do for a living? Carpentry. That was kind of the family business. It was kind of the thing they did. Who were their parents? Mary and Joseph. True or false? James believed in Jesus from the moment he met him. False. He didn't. He didn't believe him. Last question. How do you get to heaven? Mmm, okay. Y'all pause a little bit there. Y'all pause a little bit. I noticed what you did there. I noticed that you paused. Let me, let me just say this, that, that question right there, how do you get to heaven? Most important question you'll ever answer. Most important question you'll ever answer, and the answer that you give to that is the single most important answer that you'll ever give to anything in your entire life. Now, depending on where you are in this world and depending on who you're talking to, you'll get thousands of different answers. You see, there's a lot of different places in our country, maybe some of the, some of the places in the northeast and kind of different pockets out west. They would say, well, there is no God in the first place. Even some places around here in South Carolina, they would say there is no, there is no God. I, I don't know what you're talking about in heaven or hell. There's, there's no such thing as either. Why even discuss it? Now, there are other people that you can talk to who would say, well, you know, this is what you've got to do. You've got, you got to have all these good works, man. You just gotta, you gotta have these good works. If you do this, if you don't do this, if you stay away from these things and just make sure that you're on that right path, then guess what, man? You're good. As long as you do the right things, as long as you say the right things, as long as you don't do the bad things, then you're smooth sailing, man. There's a lot of people that think that. You just have to be a good person. Now, see, every other religion in our world, every other religion that we've ever seen says those very things. If you boil it down to what they basically are, if you look at the checklist, it's there, man. Just do this. Do these five things. Pray these five prayers. Stay away from this. Stay away from this. Don't do that. And if you just abide by these, and every other religion in the world says those things. If you just do this and you don't do this, then you're fine. You see, Christianity is the only religion in the entire world. It's the, the only faith-based religion in this world that says we could never be good enough. It's the only one. We are the only religion. We have the only relationship with our said God where it's not based on what we do, but it's based on what God has done for us. So if there's any works involved at all, it's not the work that we have, it's works that Christ has already done for us. You see, in John chapter 17, Jesus is he's gathering all of his disciples and he's getting ready to go on the cross. This is the longest like, encounter and the longest prayer recorded in all the Bible. He's got all of his disciples gathered around in, the, in this upper room, and this is where they partake of the Lord's Supper, and they're talking, and he's letting them know, hey, I'm getting ready to go. And the very first way that he starts off this prayer is he says, Father, I've completed the works that you've sent me to do. And then as he gets up on the cross, it all becomes completed. 
So we rest, not in our works, but we rest in the work of Jesus Christ. And listen, let me tell you this this morning. I don't know about you. I don't know your background. I don't know your faith. I don't know how much time you spent in in this Christian realm or whatever it is, but it's Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing that we have to bring to the table. If it's anything about us, we're in trouble. We're in big, big trouble. It's Jesus plus nothing. You see, there's a lot of people that would tell you today, I, I believe in Jesus, but, but I, I'm not living right, or I believe in Jesus, and you know, I, I'm still trying to work. I'm still trying to earn my, my salvation. I'm still trying to work in this relationship. And what they've done is they've added something to that salvation. We are the only religion in the world that says it's only through faith that we can get into heaven. The only religion in the world. But here's the question. Here's the question. And you all, you all know what I'm talking about. What about people who say they believe in Jesus, but their life looks totally out of place? Who say they believe in Jesus, but something there just doesn't add up? who say that they have faith in Christ. And I, I believe in Jesus, man. I, I've been following Christ all of my life. Like, I, I have faith in Him. But whose life doesn't suggest that they have a relationship with God, with Jesus at all. What do we do with that? What do we do with those who maybe, maybe say that, who live that out? Let me, let me just throw this scenario at you, okay? Let me, let me throw this scenario at you. I, I love my wife, and we have a great relationship. So this scenario is a completely hypothetical, okay? Completely hypothetical. In case my in-laws are listening, let me just reiterate that again. This is completely hypothetical. But if somebody had a relationship with their wife or with a spouse, and they say, man, I, I love my wife. I love her to death. She's the best thing God's ever given me. I love my wife. She's just the best thing. But they didn't live with their wife never talked to their wife, never had a relationship with their wife, would you say that something just doesn't add up? Right? Like something, something just doesn't add up. That doesn't sound right. How can you say that you love your wife, but you never spend any time with her at all? How can you say that you have a relationship with her? Man, you don't love her. You're not really doing anything that suggests that you love her. See, there's a lot of people that do that in their relationship with Christ. Man, I love Jesus. I've been following Jesus all of my life. He's the best thing. Do you really love Him? Are you really following Him? Is your heart in tune with Him? Do you really, does your life suggest that you have a relationship with Jesus. You see, that's exactly what James is talking about in James chapter 2. That's where we're going to be looking at this morning. And the bottom line, if you don't take anything else away from this message, the bottom line is this, is that we are saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Does that make sense? We're saved by that faith. But that faith, it has to have something attached to it. It has to have proof. It has to have some credentials. It has to be real. It has to be tangible. It has to be on display. So faith is what saves us, but it's not by that faith 
alone. It's not faith that stands alone or that is alone. Real faith pushes you to action. Real faith changes the way that you live. Real faith. It changes the way that you live. So if you're there in James chapter 2, say, I got it. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He's going to break this question down for us. This is James. He's writing to, to a bunch of church people. All right? Like he's writing to a bunch of Christians. Like this isn't like the heathen out in the world like the, who spent most of their time at the bar last night. He's writing to folks inside a church, and they know exactly what he's talking about. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Okay, that's exactly the question that I just asked you. Can that faith save him? And then he presents a a case study. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He presents this, this dead faith to us, right? This dead faith. He says, if you claim to have faith in Jesus, and if your life doesn't add up, he says, that faith is dead. Now, I'm not a genius, all right? I'm not a genius. I'm not the smartest person in this room. What can something that is dead, what can it do? Something that's dead. Maybe y'all aren't smart either. If something's dead, what can it do? Nothing. Something that's dead does absolutely nothing. And so he says in this case study, he says, so, so let's just say that you're one of these Christians and you have faith and you're at the church house and, and you're getting ready to leave the church and one of your fellow brothers or sisters in Christ, somebody else from the church, They don't have the food they need. They don't have the clothes they need. You see them standing outside in the street corner and they got no coat. And you look at them and you say, brother, man, I just hope that situation gets better. Man, I just hope they, I hope that gets fixed. Man, I I see they need a coat. I hope that God provides one, brother. God, I'm going to pray right now that God, you would provide a coat for them. God provided a coat. It's at your house, right? Like it's, it's at your house. And so what's happening right here is you've got Christians inside the church who are seeing things go on inside the local church. And they see other other Christians, they see brothers and sisters in need. And it's like they have these blinders on. Brother, I hope you you get what you need. I hope you find that food. Brother, I, I hope, sister, I hope that everything gets taken care of. And they put on these blinders and they walk through life with blinders on never having moved into action because of their faith. And James says that if you're one of those, if you have that type of faith that's not stirred to do anything at all, he says it's dead. He says that faith is dead. This faith that doesn't stir us to move, it's just empty words. It's just empty words. But it has no action to it. You know a lot of people like that? I know a lot of people like that. You know, that they have a lot of words, but there's nothing ever backing up what they say. There's no power to their faith. There's no power within them to change what they do because there's no real faith there at all. 
There's no real faith. And so what James is saying is that there is a type of faith that Christians or, or that religious people can have, and that religious faith is just dead. Re- religious people, they say a lot, but they do nothing. We at Creekside Church, we're only 10 months old. All right, we're, we're 10 months old. And so we, we've been trying to, over the last 10 months, just build an identity, build a little bit of culture and build a, a little bit of substance so that people know who we are. And one of the things that we say over and over and over and over again until people get sick of hearing it is that whatever the king touches, he changes. Whatever the king touches, he changes. And so for any religious person, to see somebody in, in dire straits, to see them in need, and to not be stirred, to not have their affections just, just warped within them, where they say, my faith has moved me to this. And what that might mean, what that might suggest, is that they've never been touched by the king. Whatever the king touches, he changes. Whatever he touches, he changes, but that's not the only type of faith that we see here. It's not, there's not only dead faith here in this church. He goes on, verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. Let that creep you a little bit. Demons know the power of Jesus Christ. I would say that possibly demons have probably seen, like physically seen the power of Jesus Christ, maybe even better than we have. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about in Mark chapter 1, 34. This is right whenever Jesus is entering the scene. This is when he's starting his ministry, and and he's out in the city. He's healing people. He's working all these, these miracles, and it says that he comes across these demons, and as the demons are there in the city that Jesus would not allow the demons to speak, Because the demons knew exactly who he was. And so they see the power of Jesus Christ, and before they go and and before they proclaim who he is, before they admit it to everybody else in the city, Jesus silences them. And there in that moment, they see how powerful Jesus really is. So there is not only a dead faith, but there's a demonic faith out there as well. A demonic faith. Where these, these demons in the, Old, in the New Testament and even in our world now, you can go all around, the, all around the globe. We hear missionary stories all the time where they're spooked by, by these demons and demonic activity. And as, as soon as they get into that area, they start experiencing that, that, that tension, wrestling with, with real demons, like real demons here. And as soon as they mention the name of Jesus, they flee. They're gone. But doesn't that... Doesn't that say something here? If demons can have the understanding of the nature and power of Jesus Christ, and it still doesn't stir them at all, it doesn't change them at all, demons can know, have faith in, or have seen the power of Jesus Christ and still openly refuse to just reject Christ. Thus, they have something that's real here. They have they have evidence of Christ being who He says He is, and they still openly reject Him. And so they turn. Their faith has not changed them. Their faith has not done anything to, to stir them at all. 
So there's a dead faith and there's a demonic faith, but those aren't the only two types of the those aren't the only two types of faith. There's another one, and so I'm like you. If if I'm hearing this and I'm listening to this, I'm like, okay, just tell me what I need to do, right? How many type A personalities we got out there? Like type A personalities? None of you. All right, cool. All right, good. I'm the only one. I believe it. Only type A personality here. Like, like that's me. Like, I, so just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to do. Like, let me check the boxes, right? If I've got to have works that back up my faith, how many? Like, how many works do I got to have? I got to have two on Sunday, three on one. Like, what do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. But it doesn't really work that way, does it? You see, Christianity, there, there has to be some type of substance. There has to be something backing it up. But it's not really this box check type religion. It's not really this box check type of faith, is it? And so there are some of us this morning that might just be asking, like, what's the bare minimum? Like, what do I have to do? Like, I, I gave a homeless man $20 one time. Does that get me in? Like, does that count? Am I entering the threshold? Like, I, I had my lunch the other day, and my neighbor, he was, he was starving. I gave him my lunch. Like, does that count? Am I good? What's the bare minimum? What do I need to do? That's not how it works. You see, if there's a real faith there, if there's something genuine in you, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, He transforms you. Remember, he, he changes you. There's something in your heart. You're not the same as you used to be. That faith moves you to action, changes the very essence and the very nature of who you are. And He gives an example right here in verse 20. He says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, pardon us French, that faith apart from works is useless. He says, I'm gonna, I want to show you that, that how faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Notice he didn't say. He never said, that salvation was completed by His works. You see, there's nothing that our works can do to save us, but He says that, that His faith was completed by His works. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed in God, believed in the testimony before he ever did anything before he ever did anything, he simply believed. But he didn't just stay in that belief. God's going to charge him with something in just a second. I'm going I'm to show you that just a second in Scripture. But before Abraham did anything, he started with faith. He didn't start the other way around with works. So Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I'm going to explain that in just a second. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Go ahead and flip in your Bibles. Flip over to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to camp out there for just a second. Genesis chapter 22. I want to, talk, I want to show you exactly what we're talking about here. This reference here to, to Abraham. Now, remember, he's talking to a bunch of religious people. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people. All right, They've been scattered. They've been dispersed. 
they know who Abraham is. It's their great, great, on down the line, their great granddaddy. And so whenever he starts bringing up this name of Abraham, their radar goes off. Oh, we know Abraham. We know what he's, he's talking about here. Genesis chapter tw- uh, 22. If you got it, say, I got it. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. He's basically telling him, Abraham, I want you to go and take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to offer him up to me as a sacrifice. Well, there's only two problems with this. You know what a sacrifice is, right? What happens to a sacrifice? Every time something happens with a sacrifice, whether it's your hopes, your dreams, whether it's your lunch, if you're sacrificing it, guess what? It dies. And so God tells Abraham here, he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. I want you to go up on this mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Another problem, another situation here with, with this scenario, God in his relationship with Abraham set him up long before this, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to make you the, the grandfather, the, the, the patriarch for thousands of generations, and they're going to remember you, Abraham. And Abraham, you know what he says to God? He said, you're crazy. You know why? Because I ain't got no kids. How am I going to have grandkids if I don't have any kids? And his wife, she was old in age. His wife, Sarah, she was old and they had no kids. And he said, God, we believe you. We trust you. We have faith that you can do what you say you will do. And so some time passes and they try to cover up that situation. They, they try to um, create and manufacture a child through, uh, through having Ishmael. And then God says, no, 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 that's not the son I wanted you to have. I want you to have a son where only I can get the credit. And he gives him a son through many, many years of barrenness, through many, many years of heartache and trial. He gives him this son named Isaac. And then not long, remember though, this is Abraham's legacy. He says, okay, I finally got a son. I'm going to be what God actually said that I was going to be. I'm going to be the father of many nations. They're going to look back on me in this special relationship that I had with God. And God tells him in Genesis chapter 22, he says, I want you to take Isaac, that gift that I gave you, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now put yourself in Abraham's shoes. You just gave me this son. I thought you said that I thought that I was going to be the father of many nations. I thought we were going to have this special relationship. I thought the whole nation of Israel, like, what are you talking about? Sacrifice my son, this only son that I have, the one that I love, like this prized possession of mine, Isaac. God says, yeah, I want you to take him. I want you to sacrifice him. Isn't it funny, like, we're on this chapter and we had baby dedication today? I kind of think that's kind of funny. That's kind of, all right, like, I didn't plan that out. It just kind of happened to be that way. It's not exactly the same thing. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, two of his helpers, and he took Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there, 
and we will worship and come again to you. Notice the, the faith there. He says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, so that he could carry it up the mountain. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, he said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Like he's starting to pick up, right? He's starting, you think he had any idea at all? Like, hey, dad, like, uh. I know we're going up on this mountain here, but I don't really see any lamb. I know we're supposed to be sacrificing the lamb. You think it's starting to, to pick up at all? Abraham's probably thinking in his mind, yeah, this is going to leave a scar. He's going to remember this forever. Verse 8, he says, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, this is a picture of what God himself was going to do thousands and thousands of thousands of generations later with his own son, Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to Abraham, listen, you're going to do incredible things, but this is a foreshadowing of me sacrificing my son, Jesus, and through the faith that you just showed, Many will be saved. Many will be saved. James chapter 22, he references that. He said, uh, James chapter 2, I'm sorry. He references that. He says, and Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar. You see that faith was active with his works and faith was completed by his works. You see, Abraham's faith was proven. It was demonstrated. It was on display for God to see, for Isaac to see, for his mother to see, for everybody else who's around to see. Like he took the very best of what he had and he says, I trust God with this no matter what. And so his faith was on display. But if Abraham had failed to do what God had told him to do, if he said, I don't trust you. If he said, I, I question you. If he had never went up on the mountain, never got ready to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, you and I would look at that and we would say, guess what? Abraham probably doesn't have any faith at all. He doesn't have any faith at all. So what God's doing here with, with Abraham and he's testing. He's testing him and he's putting in this situation, in this scenario to say, prove it. He's saying, prove it, Abraham. Prove that you trust me. Prove that you have faith in me. Life's a test, right? Life is a test. Where you might claim this morning, I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. I, many of you probably claim to know Christ. And if you do, you need to know this, that there are things that happen in your life every single day where it's a test to see if you really believe or not. If you see your neighbor without food or without clothing, and you're cold, 
and you're cold-hearted and nothing is stirred in you, nothing is happening within you to want to be a part of that because of your faith in Christ. And you're failing the test. If you know of of a situation that needs deep help, And because of your faith in Christ, you aren't moved. You see, I I love this game. It's called the trust fall game. How many of you ever played the trust fall? It's like, you know, you cross your arms just like this, and you get somebody behind you, and you just start to fall back, right? How many of you ever played that game? Well, my little brother, the middle one, he was the worst at this ever. He's a little itty-bitty guy, and so I would play with him as a kid. And, of course, I would start off. He would close his arms, and he would lay back like this, and he would fall back, and I would catch him every time. He's like, your turn, your turn, your turn. And I would get up there, and I would cross my arms, and I would fall back. Because he's such a small guy, he would drop me every single time. It's my fault. I I let him do it. Some of you are like this with the Lord. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. But you're never falling back. I trust you, God. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I believe you. I I have this relationship with you. We're tight. We're close. But you never fall back to prove that faith at all. Is God there kind of wondering, hey, do you really believe me or not? Every time that you fail to put that, that faith into action, it's saying with your life, by by not saying it, you're saying it. And my faith isn't real. It's just empty words. And so I want to be clear this morning that there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that you can do to, to bring anything to the table in terms of works. It's only through faith. But if that faith is not active, that's scary. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone, real faith pushes you to action. I want you to do something for me this morning. If you would, go ahead and close both of your eyes. This might be weird. We don't always do this. I want you to close both of your eyes. I want you to hold out your right hand. What is the one thing right now that God's calling you to do that you haven't done yet. You got that fist? Make a fist. There's something in that fist. There's something in that hand. And in that hand represents something that God's called you to do that you haven't done yet. What is it? Now hold out your left hand. In this left hand, I want you to ask this question. What's the one thing that's holding you back from doing what God's called you to do. What's God called you to do? What's the thing holding you back from doing what God's called you to do? You can open up your eyes. I can't answer what it was for you. For some of you, you have some real bitterness and anger in your heart. You say that you believe in Jesus and that you've been washed by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, but you're failing to show forgiveness to somebody else. Some of you this morning, 
You say that you believe in Christ, but you know somebody right now that's in need, and they've been in need for a long, long time, and you've been failing to, to because of your faith, move into action for them. Some of you this morning have deep relationships with, with somebody in your family. Maybe it's gone haywire. Maybe it's gone south. Maybe it's not good right now. And you're, you're failing to, because of your faith, be the bigger person to say, I was wrong. I need forgiveness. Some of you this morning, you might have faith, but your faith has never been shared with anybody else. And you know that coworker, that family member, that cousin that doesn't know Jesus. And that faith hasn't moved you yet to go and share the gospel with them. And there's something that's holding you back from doing it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. I don't care what you know. But I care about what you know changing your life. I care about what you know and how what you know changes your life. This morning as the band's here, I... I just want to allow you, I want to give you the space to get along with the Lord. We're going to stand and sing in just a few minutes. If you're here this morning and you need some time to process with the Lord and you need to ask Him some questions and just let Him work on your heart, I want to allow you to do that. I'm going to be at the back of the room this morning and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me just say, here is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we were once alienated. We were far away from Him. But he saw us in our state, had grace for us, came and died on the cross so that we might have access to God through faith. This is the good news. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been trying to work out your salvation. Maybe you are just trying to be a good person. If you would like to know more about this good news, some of you need good news. We all need good news. If you would like to know more about how do you can start a relationship with Jesus. I'll be in the back of the room this morning. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for the book of James and we thank you for how it's nothing about us, it's nothing about our works that can save us. Lord, I would be in a mess. Lord, I've done a lot of things in this life that I'm deeply ashamed of. And at times, Lord, I felt would have completely disqualified me from experiencing heaven, experiencing good news forever. Lord, and there are some here this morning that maybe they don't think they're too bad for heaven, but some think they're too good, that they've worked up, that they're, they're this good person, that, that they've earned the right to know you, that they've earned the right to heaven. Lord, knock them off that pedestal. And reveal to them through your son Jesus, Lord, that it's through faith and in faith alone that we are saved. God, for the believer here this morning who's struggling, Lord, who's just working through something, trying to figure out what you've asked them to do that they haven't done yet, Lord, would you give them strength? Would you give them clarity to hear from you? God, if there be anybody here this morning who does not know you as Savior, may today be the day that they accept and embrace this good news for the first time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to do whatever you feel like God's leading you to do this morning. If you need to speak with a pastor, I'll be in the back. Make yourself at home. Ask for forgiveness. Stand in worship. Whatever God's calling and challenging you to do this morning, we just pray that you